2-2 now. Pennington hits one out toward right field. Joyce racing back. He's at the wall. And that is gone! Grand salami time for Cliff Pennington. And the Halos are back on top. Bob Melville's going to have So for the first time since the days of Sherman Report, the Sportscasters has got some buzz. Yeah, I saw that. I will be honest and say that I did DM Andrew okay, and said to him, hey, I just did this interview with Sean McDonough. Would you check it out? And if there's anything you think is newsworthy for awful announcing, that'd be great if you wrote it up. And he wrote back and said, we have a ton of media news right now, so I'm going to tell you it's probably doubtful. And I said, oh, that's fine. I mean, you know, just check it out, and if there's anything there, great. And if not, not. And within 24 hours of that conversation, he had a pretty long article up. Yeah, that felt like something he was waiting to so write. So he must have been working on that, and those McDonough quotes was exactly what he wanted. It's interesting, too, because of the 40-minute interview, very few – minutes of it were spent talking about politics politics and that's what was pulled out of there i thought there was a lot more interesting things about the league and him getting on the officials and the response to that i thought was pretty interesting we're going to run the interview again in this episode uh just because well for a few reasons that article is still kind of going around and i i wanted it to be on top in case someone someone did just subscribe and then you know, I want the one that default downloads for the rest of the week to still have McDonough on it. Sure. So it's kind of like McDonough week, but there's two episodes, one with Mandel and one with Leach. Because uh, on this episode here, we'll after three things, we'll take a break and we'll Leach. I talked to him, I want to say last week. And what we did was he wrote an article on sportsonearth.com uh, talking about the rumors of an extension for Goodell. Okay, yeah. And he pointed out some things that have come up. He bullet pointed them. Things that have come up, issues during his tenure that could be problematic for the league going forward. And we kind of just took them one by one and kind of debated them. Okay. So it's kind of cool. It's yeah. different. You know, kind of a different spot. Uh, and he's the perfect guy to kind of go back and forth with. So, you know, someone who created Deadspin, he's looking to battle like that. You know what oh, I yeah, mean? He's yeah. not the kind of guy who is so sensitive about his opinions that you can't you know, disagree or whatever. So it's really fun. So after three things, we'll go to that. And then uh, instead of one last thing today, Don, will, Don and I will do our over-unders. And, uh, but we have to name the book club book of the year today. So we'll do that in between the interviews. And then McDonough will replay that. Because uh, it was Monday we put up the uh, the McDonough and Mandel episode, which will be Seven fifteen, and man, that was really interesting too because his site launched on Monday. So I did do the trial. I don't know if I'll get it for the year or not, but so this is what's kind of cool about it. So it's theathletic.com, right? Okay. And they have sites in a bunch of different markets right now. I think there's like maybe six. So it's like San Francisco, Boston, Cleveland, which kind of covers Columbus too. Mm-hmm. It's like more of like Central Ohio or whatever, not. Just Cleveland. Like, they do the Blue Jackets in Ohio State. Okay. 
But then, besides their markets, they also have now the National College Football site, which Mandel is the editor-in-chief of. Then they have a baseball site, which Ken Rosenthal is the writer for, which is launching or has launched. And then there's a third one, and then they're adding more markets, and they're going to have more national sites. And you do get, for the one subscription, you do get everything. They have a pretty nice app. I mean, you get seven days free. I'll take the seven days and decide. But I wanted to give it a chance out of respect for Stuart, who's been with us almost since the beginning. Yeah, I think he was a season one guest. So it, it's interesting, though. Well, I decide it's worth essentially fifty bucks for the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going going back to the article real quick. Yeah, I did read the whole thing. Um, Leach's article or awful announcing? Uh, Buck Buckholt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, I, I didn't read any of the comments. I wonder how it's received because I thought he did a really good job of I couldn't tell what angle he was coming from. It sounds like he was defending ESPN a little bit, but he had no reason to really. Uh, but I, I as I'm reading it, I'm like, I bet you conservatives hate that he, what he said there. I bet you uh, liberals hate what he said there. You right? know what I picked up on was if you look at the tweet that Alpha Announcing sent out, the one that like I retweeted, uh-huh. the replies to that were pretty angry. They thought – He's they defending thought, liberal ESPN. Yeah, and, and you could tell which ones were just people responding to the headline. Okay, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean, who didn't even bother to open it. But I thought in general the article was relatively fair. You could say that, look it, he's not going to start shitting on ESPN on here. Right. Right. I mean, ESPN PR set up this interview. He's not going to come on here and be like, yeah, ESPN pressures me to... I think what he said was believable. I found him to be what, genuine. What he did say was, if anything, ESPN tells them not to talk about politics. And I think that's way more believable than... Especially for a play-by-play guy. Yeah. He's not on a, like a 5.30 debate show. Right. I mean, he calls play-by-play for Monday Night Football. I don't think ESPN wants that to be some kind of And their guys on the debate shows debate thing. are inflammatory. And not I mean, some of them are liberal, slanted. and. But you also know that they're out there presenting an opinion. Right. I mean, it's specifically for someone to give their opinion. Yes, but I'm, I guess my point was I, I believe what he said about I find him to be very genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't feel like he was pushing agenda either way. I found him to be relatively genuine. It's a weird time that we live in right now. It is, like yeah. Everything somebody says, like two people can read the same article and think it's something different. But, yeah, I, I don't know. This is all about Kurt Schilling, right? Like, that's why conservatives hate ESPN. I mean, it's essentially where it comes from. I think that's probably one of the roots. I, I think that just... I don't know. I don't have I don't have a problem with ESPN. Look at I mostly watch games <clears throat> when yeah, I watch no, ESPN. Right. And when I'm watching a game, I don't feel like there's a problem really. I mean, I don't watch like Stephen A. Smith's show. No, right. You know, I don't really even watch Sports Center. Who's the other guy? Why? Skip Bayless, right? Yeah, I mean he's on Fox now. Okay, right. But I don't watch that either. You know, I just am not interested in that stuff. I, if anything, look for like. Everything seems like it's kind of a pendulum, and right now it seems like politics is everything. Like I can't watch late night shows, like because it's just one Donald Trump joke after it's another. It's awful, and I, I don't particularly love the guy, but no. uh, I don't need. It's just not fun for me. Like you, you watch stuff like for entertainment value, for an escape from that. And and it becomes I think, it becomes an obsession, right? And to get I back think to Stephen the, Colbert is obsessed. Yes, yeah, but I mean to get back to the McDonough, I think that's what he's saying too. People watch. 
the games and he's told kind of if anything not to talk about it so i think i thought it was very real genuine and believable and i i felt like andrew had that he was ready to write that article because like you said he 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 thought it was going to be too busy but yeah initially he basically gave me a, a nice no right you know, he said he'd check it out, but he set it up where there were this ton, probably isn't going to happen. Tons of links in the articles pointing to different examples of when they were liberal or when they were conservative or, I mean, if you want to call it that. But right. Yeah, I think was he, was, he was ready for that. So it's good for us. Yeah. We needed that in a way, I think. I mean, we've, I don't, we didn't take the year off here, but we've kind of... It's been weird. It's been a weird summer. We didn't... I think in a way we didn't force it when we were ready when there was interviews when there was an episode we just kind of did it if you weren't available i just kind of got it up right you know we didn't really force it and i think it was a good time not to force it because i think maybe if we tried to force it we might have might not be doing it still you know like we might have just said fuck it sure you know what i mean but i think we kind of just but this is something we needed to kind of kick off because i'd like to from here you know get back real focused on doing it every week right you know, because I don't think we're going to do the hockey show again this year. I haven't really talked to him about it, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, he does one. Okay. You know, where it's Avalanche Central. Sure. And that's really where his base is. Yeah, he's great at it, too. You know what I mean? He's, he's got a, a good following. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll talk about it. We haven't even talked about it, so I probably shouldn't say <laughs> we're not going to do it. Just the feeling that I have uh-huh. it probably won't be. But, all right, you want to do three things? Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. All righty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, so as we record here, we're about 40 minutes from kickoff of the first... Of the last week of preseason games. These are the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> they literally just canceled one outright. Did they really? Yeah, they canceled the Houston-Dallas game. Oh, oh okay, sure. So, there's probably a lot of guys on both teams that are like, fuck. Yeah. I saw an interesting stat. I mean, as a fan, you look at these games and think, like, who cares? But they said something like... I'm going to round because I don't remember the numbers, but something like 1,200 players are going to get cut in the next few days, and like only like 350 of them are going to be back on practice yeah, like, squads. Everyone's at 90, so and everyone has to go down to 53. That's 32 teams cutting what? At least... Yeah, I thought I saw the number... 46, 47 guys? Yep. Yeah, I thought it was around 1,100, 1,200, or something like that, and of those, you only got 800 would be out of a job because there's only something like 300 yeah, it's, practice it's squad like players. 10, 10, I think you get 10 spots, so it's 320 okay, spots. Okay, 320, yeah. sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's a tough day, and there's a lot of guys. I don't think anyone's got 53 automatics, right? I think every no. team has probably 40 guys they're pretty sure of, and then 13 spots that are between probably 25 guys. Yeah, and sometimes it's fun uh, – because you may have 53 good guys, but you might not need uh, nine cornerbacks. Right, something yeah. like that. So it's a numbers game within the numbers game. So with that said, Ezekiel Elliott had his appeal hearing, and there's a source saying there's pressure for the ruling of it to be out by Monday. Because I think they want, if he's going to get three games, they want him to be able to start it. If he's going to get six games, I want to be able to start it. If there's going to be a court fight, 
want to start that. Right. You know, I think that there's, uh, sure, from the Cowboys and from the league in general. And, and by the way, that should be enough time. To figure it out? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, the guy who was making the decision was in the actual hearing. Right? So he was there. And I think three or four days is enough to review the notes and make a decision. It's another weird thing in a long line of weird things. Is this one of the things you get into about Goodell in the interview? Uh, with Will? With Will? Uh, yeah, we do talk about his failures as a disciplinarian. Absolutely. Oh. The, I mean, the thing with Brady came down to can he kind of act as like an author- authoritarian? Like that's right. what they went to the Supreme and the court's Court. ruled yes. Yeah. Yes. Because that sounds like, I mean, this is very much he said, she said, the Ezekiel Elliott thing. And he's not facing any charges, right? Like he's no. n- Zero charges. Uh, Dallas has come out and said there's literally zero evidence. So if you believe that. Well, another thing that came out this week was the perfect hit, where he was suspended for five games for a hit in the first, I want to say, preseason game, maybe the second. Right. Where he blew up a, a running back that wasn't getting the ball, wasn't looking. They have re- reduced that one to three. I wonder if, in general, they're kind of coming out with suspensions that have some beef in them so that when they reduce them, they get the number they want. Well, that's what I was wondering about the Elliott one in, in particular. Now, like, were they thinking all along four? So let's put it at six so he can appeal, and then we could make it seem like we threw him a bone? Now, I know it's a gray area with like domestic violence or like a dicey area to talk about but it's an automatic like six now right but i think this like for an automatic six games what's what what is the minimum requirement for evidence Evidence, right because it sounds like none right now but that's what i was thinking like do they give him six because they don't really have anything but they want to look good and then if they come down to three or four and he says okay then you know like Good. We didn't need evidence then. We we got him to take the lesser thing and just and it's over. Make it yeah. Go on, wash it away. And the NFL's in a spot where if a video comes out later, they tr- attempt to do they the cover right themselves thing. right. To some yeah, the Ray Rice thing was the opposite. Like they, they had the video they under suspension and they looked guy. like they were letting him off in a way. Sure. You know. So I just wonder in general about these suspensions. You know, if they reached a point where the league is kind of smartened up to the fact that the player is going to want to appeal, and that the best way to resolve it is to cut it, cut it, at least give the player something. Right. And should they? Are we going to see larger numbers so that there's almost like this cut built in? I mean, there's going to be people that say domestic violence should be like a season-long suspension, and then you can start there and then work backwards. If I think if you're going to start taking away a guy's job for a year, the threshold should be similar to a court. We should have some evidence. Like, yeah, I mean, there should be something that would actually hang up in a real court of law. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's things you can get, you can get fired from your job for acting silly at a company party or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true. I, I assume that is true. You know, I mean, they've got to protect a brand, an image, whatever. Things that aren't necessarily illegal. But with these things that are illegal, that the law chooses to not pursue, like, I don't know, maybe it's just not their place as a league. Like, especially if you did literally zero wrong. I know this is the worst part of football always to talk about every year, because it sounds like you're defending a guy that may or may not have hit a girl, but... We don't even know. Right. It sounds like in this case... I have no idea. Right. But that that's always been kind of your problem with Goodell. He acts... Yeah, he just does what he wants to do. Right. 
You know, it's like goes back to the Jonathan Vilma quote. You know, we are. He says that him and Goodell were in the same room, and that Goodell swears they had a bounty on Kurt Warner and Brett Favre, but not on Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. No. And Vilma just says it doesn't even make any sense. Why, if we have a bounty program, right? A culture of bounty. Why are we calling it off for the Super Bowl, right? Especially against Peyton Manning, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, really. The only thing he had, it seems like, looking way back in that, that tape. case, was the tape, and that just Which might is just be a rah-rah speech in the could end, be. right? I mean, it's disgusting. It sounds really bad. Yeah, especially it's awful. at the time. Greg Williams is an asshole. Yeah, especially at that time, it sounds really bad because they're going through all those. Uh, lawsuits at the time but yeah but that's really all he had and he it seems again like he was saving face there so in other news we have a new highest paid player in the history of the nfl matt stafford that's right uh he signed a huge deal and if you it's kind of like the weather in buffalo if you don't like it wait five minutes right Right, i mean whoever's next or or no car just signed there's a whole list right it's like rogers breeze right um there's a few other guys flacco for a while was Look at every time a quarterback steps up, they're going to reset the market, and you don't have to be Tom Brady to get twenty-five million a year or whatever, ninety million guaranteed. Yeah, I always think these uh, these contracts are a good barometer for like how much you want to talk sports with somebody because like the second someone signs this contract, everyone's like, "That's ridiculous. He hasn't earned that." Blah blah blah. It's just like. Have it's not, not about earned. Around, right? It's not, not about earned. You just you're the next man up. There's inflation. You're gonna be, yeah. Stafford's one of those dudes that's particularly rich because he was around before the rookie scale, so he cleaned up on first overall. You know, him and Bradford are like the last two that were first overall quarterback picks, got huge rookie deals, and now have cashed in after the fact. Who was the last? Was it Jamal? I think it was, Russell? it was Bradford, wasn't oh, it? Oh, was, was the last? Oh, he was after Russell. Yeah. That's Russell right. was 2007, I think. And... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a problem with Stafford. I, I, no, I mean... he. Uh, it's funny, the stats they have on him. He has, like... Does he have close to the most fourth-quarter comebacks in league history, something like that. But no playoff wins. No playoff, playoff wins, and his winners. record against winning teams is horrible. Yeah, it's so, five and 54. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. As crazy. a Bills fan, if you could have that quarterback forever, I guess I'd sign up for that. But, man, that's a, that's a tough existence. As You know what I mean? To have a quarterback that's just that's just pretty good. You know what I mean? Like he's, His numbers look great, too, because of the era. Uh, he throws for a ton of yards every year and tomorrow is levy on bell day oh, he's got a report or uh, that's the date he tweeted oh he said he was gonna yeah yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't be worried about that there was a weird stat on the fantasy podcast that somebody came up with that guys that held out and didn't play any preseason performed like 20 percent below their average i mean i think the sample size was small it was like chris johnson and i don't remember who else but I, there is something to that, probably. You're not putting on pads and hitting other NFL players and running around with other NFL players, so I'm sure he'll be fine. Anything else on the NFL before we move on? Are you good? No, I'm good. All right, so the Angels added Justin Upton today from the Tigers in a post-trade deadline trade. Wait, what? So you have to clear waivers now. Oh, okay. The first trade deadline is for without waivers. Gotcha. So now you have to clear waivers for trades. And the Angels got Justin Upton. And the reason they did is because this wild card race in the American League is nuts. I mean, nuts. 
you have basically six teams. Six teams who are going to end up. Let me find a good, a good standings here. ESPN sucks. They don't have a good scoreboard at all. Uh, let's see what Yahoo does. I know I all say right, this every card. year, but yep. it's amazing to me as a non-baseball fan. Everyone, everyone that you talk to that's not a baseball fan just says, "Oh, so many games." Yet somehow, 162 games. It always comes down to yeah. Look one at this. You got the, the Yankees and the Twins have 70 wins, so they currently occupy the two wild card spots. You have one, two, three, four, five. Six teams within five games of that. That's crazy. So that's eight teams for that's two spots separated by five total games. That's one good week. I mean, yeah. especially if they play each other. So the Angels have 69 wins, 65 in the loss. They're, so they're a game and a half out. Baltimore, two out. Tampa and Texas, four out. And Seattle and Kansas City, four and a half out. And Kansas City is 65 and 67. So this is really Bud Selig's vision, vision here. You yeah, know, sure. this is all these teams, September 1st, they're still in it, still a reason to go to the ballpark, Yep. and uh, it's a bunch of teams, you know, you not counting, I mean, then you put the, the five teams that are in it, and then six teams that are near it, that's 11 teams, you know, who have a chance to make the playoffs in the American League. Do you like it? I mean, I'm now fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm even more fine. It's only four teams. I'm though. even more okay with it now that... The two wild card teams are the one who play in the game. Like a division winner doesn't have to win a one game. Okay, I got gotcha. you. You know, now it's the two wild card teams play and then go on to play the best division winner, and then the other two division winners play. How do most people feel about it? Like purists, do they still well, purists don't like anything that's sure, different. especially baseball. You know, kind so of sacred. All right, I got a question as a non-baseball fan. Why does Justin Upton, a guy who's batting about 280, uh, almost 30 home runs, how does he pass waivers? Well, price for one. That's it? Yeah. Contract? Okay. You know, and it's also you don't have to clear every team. You just have to clear two the team you trade them to. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of fun. You know what I mean? So, like. I should know that. but that's... The Red Sox, for example, won't get a chance to claim him. Right. Because the, the team he's going to is would be higher priority in waivers. Okay, that's cool. So, you know, the teams that you would think... Now, sometimes these trades get made and the guy doesn't clear waivers and they don't do it. Hmm. You know what I mean? The, the trade ends up being off. So, you know, sometimes a team at the bottom will be Yeah, it's like, kind of fun. I like that. No, we're going we're gonna to go for it. So, in the wild card in the National League, not quite as fun this year. No, we said that... Yeah, Arizona, Arizona seems pretty entrenched. And they're essentially six games up from being out. But then you have Milwaukee at three back, and then no one is within five and a half of that. So, so and there's only two teams. I mean, you could drop to the fourth team out of it is nine and a half back. Yeah. So, but that's a very cyclical, cyclical thing. Um, the U.S. Open is going on right now, and. Roger Federer has already had to dodge one five five round or five uh, set disaster one, and now he's as we talk right now he's playing in another fifth set. Really, he so, won the last major, right? He did. Yeah, he won Wimbledon. Right. So yeah, so it'll be interesting if Federer 
he's an older player. Right. So is he going to, all these long matches early, you know, is he going to wear out? Is he going to have enough in the later rounds to... I mean, it was borderline shocking that he won Wimbledon, right? I mean, I mean, I know he's still one of the best players, but like you said, age. I mean, you talk about football teams. Football season's relatively short, four months long. Teams get the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, I could definitely see it in an individual, mentally and physically exhausting sport like tennis, coming off a big win and struggling. I'm sure someone's done stats on it. Uh, yeah. Some of the scorecasting type guys. All right, that's basically what I have. Oh, college football starts this weekend. Like, everyone's playing, and we have a one versus number two. Really? Yeah, so Alabama and Florida State play Saturday, 8 o'clock on ABC. Wow. You watching that? If I remember, I'd probably flip that on. You know, you get a little football starved in the eight months without it, so that's crazy. Usually those schools try to schedule cupcakes the first week or two, right? Yeah, I think if you look at it in general – you play one good game out of three. In the first three weeks? Yeah. Yeah. So you could debate should you get the first cupcake in at, you know, right away for sure before that big one. Uh, but there's some good matchups this weekend in general. Some ranked teams playing. It's some, for the first week, it's, it's pretty good. Florida and Michigan play, number 11 versus number 17. Who are the quarterbacks I should be watching for the Bills next year? It sure looks like uh, they're, they're out west. Out west? So you have USC's and UCLA's are probably the top two. Josh Rosen. Okay, he's UCLA. the one that had to talk about college players, right? Was it Rosen? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. And then Sam. Oh, I'm going to screw up his last name. It's like Donaldson, but not. He's the USC quarterback. Okay. And then there's one. I want to say in Wyoming, a one double A player named Josh Allen, I believe is his name. I did hear his, I saw his name on Twitter. Like some person sent it to a local radio guy and said, you got to watch this guy, man. He flings it. Yeah. So supposedly one he's double a double A though, huh? Yeah. And then of course the, there's the Heisman Trophy winner from last year, Lamar Jackson. Okay. Which should probably be a first round or maybe second half first round. But yeah, I think there'll probably be five first round quarterbacks this year. It's the year to be bad, right? Like probably, yeah. I mean, you have, it's another year where one and two will probably be quarterbacks. quarterbacks yeah. You know, the two California. Now they have to come out. I think, okay. Yeah, I don't think either of them is going to be a senior. I, I know think, Rosen's a junior. I don't think the Bills will be that bad, unfortunately. <laughs> we can talk about they, that midway through the year. But can they use the equity? Sure, maybe. Yeah. You know. You know. I mean, there's no wrong price to pay. I mean, people might say that uh, Rams overpaid or Redskins overpaid for RG three. But, I mean, if he was their guy, there's, there's no price you don't pay for a quarterback. Right. And it's tough to be revisionist about those things, too, because I love the move you got to take a swing, yep. right? Especially if for quarterback. Now, if you yeah. want to shit on the Bills for moving up for, for a wide receiver sure. and the biggest wide receiver draft, yep. that's more fair game. But, yeah, I wanted to um, – so many damn teams. Here's USC, the Trojans. They are – Dar- Darnold. 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 Okay. Sam Darnold. What did I say? Donaldson? That's not right. Yeah, Sam Darnold. But Josh Rosen is the other guy. Gotcha. So it'll be interesting when they play. So I'm sure USC and UCLA play at some point this year. That'd be a good game to watch. Yeah. But, all right. With that said, we are going to uh, take a break and we'll come back with Will Leach. <laughs> 
was the founding editor of Gawker Media and the sports blog Deadspin, contributes on Sports on Earth, writes all over the place, good Twitter follow, and he's a good friend of the show, he's nice enough to join us again today. The warm sportscasters welcome to Will Leach. What's up, Will? Hey, thanks for having me. I don't, I don't think I'm a very good Twitter follower. I was thinking about this the other day because <laughs> I look at people like Jonah Carey, you know, and like the, like Jonah, I've known Jonah for years, but he like, he's always on Twitter. Like, it's always amazing to me whenever I'll find like a tweet that's getting around and I'll look at it later because I'm not on Twitter all the time. He's always the first response. He seems to respond to everything on Twitter, Twitter at all times. I am not that person. I use Twitter to send links to my writing and occasionally yell at my St. Louis Cardinals. Right. And that's most of what I use Twitter for. So, so I, 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 if you, if you like, hopefully if you like the writing, you follow Twitter. Yeah. Otherwise I think, I think I'm only a mediocre follow. You know, what's, what is a good Twitter follower has changed a lot for me in the hyper political, I guess, Donald yes. Trump era. You know, yes. uh, I really do enjoy Twitter, uh, as a place to discover articles. Um, I, it, SL Price and I had a gimmick back in the day where he would come on the show and I would try to convince him to join Twitter. And he would give impassioned reasons why he shouldn't join. I would give reasons why he should. And the reason I always gave that he should was I always thought it was so cool that, like, on Game 6 of the World Series, we could all kind of watch it together. You know, it was like having, you know, your 50 favorite sports writers over to watch the game. Where now it seems like Twitter is just a place where people scream and yell about politics. It's not as bad as Facebook, but still bad. You know? Yeah, see, I haven't looked. Use, I've really never used Facebook, so I, I always, to me, I just know Facebook as the place that all my aunts and cousins fight with each other. Oh, it's brutal. Like that, that, yeah, brutal. that's what I know about that. Yeah. But I don't look at that. I have to say, I, I like a lot of people. I have become an almost exclusive Instagram social media person. Yeah, it's, love- a, it's a place. It's a place where you can actually go and say, like, I would never. It's funny. My my son William was born into October to uh, November two thousand eleven, and we put up a picture. I put a picture on my Twitter uh, on Twitter right after he was born, saying, "Hey, here he is. He looks great. Congratulations. Uh, uh, he and he and wife are doing awesome. Here's William Brian Leach, and I uh, and it was fine. Everyone was just like, "Congratulations, yay!" I did not do that for my son that was born in two thousand fourteen, and would never, ever, ever do that again like that there's just something about twitter now it just feels like everything's weaponized now whereas instagram even though you could just screenshot the same stuff that i would be worried about on twitter from right. instagram somehow instagram seems like like a happier more friendly place yeah i actually made a twitter uh, an instagram for my daughter and i've been putting pictures on there for her because i figure when she's whatever the acceptable age will be for social media kids in 2000 and i don't know 25 or something she'll have the 2000 first, and never right, 2000 have, and never my children are never going on social media. she'll have a, she'll have the first six years six ten years of her life documented so i like instagram because it yeah. just feels kind of like an internet photo book you know so exactly yeah. exactly uh weaponized has it yet i was really into this article you wrote which i found because you linked it on twitter uh about goodell i hate goodell uh I'm a big Saints fan. I feel like Adele screwed us back in 2011. I think Bounty Gate was nonsense. Uh, Jonathan Vilma uh, has one of my favorite quotes about Bounty Gate where he says, I was in the commissioner's office. And now this is, of course, Jonathan Vilma, what he says happened. Uh, the commissioner hasn't confirmed or denied. But he said, I was sitting in his office and he told me that during the NFC playoffs, 
we had a bounty on Kurt Warner, and then we had a bounty on Brett Favre. And he also said that we didn't have a bounty on Peyton Manning. And Jonathan Vilma couldn't understand why a team with the bounty culture would call it off for the Super Bowl. And he says that Goodell just had no answer and told him that they're going to have to agree to disagree. Uh, um, and I think anytime you're suspending a coach for a year on an agree to disagree basis, that's a little ridiculous. Uh, but you wrote an article about Commissioner Goodell is rumored to be getting an extension, or he has, I don't know. Uh, and you wrote at some of the big issues uh, facing the NFL, and we've been kind of going through, kind of previewing football uh, with different interviews. We're going to have Sean McDonough on uh, as well. I'm interviewing with him tomorrow. Uh, so I thought maybe we could go through some of these and talk about them. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. I, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about how, uh, as Drew McGarry famously calls him, the ginger hammer has, <laughs> uh, has screwed up uh, so much of, of what they're doing. Yes, God, he stinks. All right. So we'll go through. Uh, you have some bullet points. We'll go through some of these, and we'll talk about them. So your first one is that the NFL is overleveraged in massive television contracts at the exact moment that the industry is undergoing a tectonic shift involving unbundling and cord cutting. Paula, shh. I talked about this. I talked about this last year with uh, with uh, Deitch. We were talking about the the ratings drop in the NFL, and I said that simply, I don't think it's about anyone taking a knee or anything all that complicated. I just think that the ratings had peaked at a rate that isn't sustainable in the uh, cord cutting era. That everything is going to go down. Um, and I think that's sort of what you're alluding to here, that, you know, they've they cashed in with some huge, huge deals. I mean, the deal that ESPN signed didn't even have a single good game last year, and they're paying over a billion dollars for them. Uh, tell me about uh, the over-leveraging and what you think the landscape is going to look like when the NFL goes to renew some of these. Yeah, I think that's really the thing. I mean, you know, contrary to what uh, uh, dopes with an agenda might tell you, uh, ESPN did not lay off off those people because people stopped watching their network because of their politics. People, uh, ESPN overpaid for those for those NFL rights, like a lot of uh, people have, including Twitter. You know, those Twitters like not doing that. Yahoo's not doing that game anymore. Twitter might not do that game. You know, I think that clearly the I, people have uh, NFL was smart in that, that they made sure. To spend as much uh, to take as much money as they could for these broadcasting rights, but clearly they're not going to get that money again. Like it's just not there. Like this is not the way the business works anymore. If ESPN, if you told ESPN right now, if this were like the Suspetis contract, and you told ESPN right now you can <laughs> opt out right now, they would absolutely opt out of that contract. And so, and so I think that's really kind of the issue here. And for Goodell, again, good for Goodell, I suppose, for being able to take advantage of that one sliver of history where you could get a contract like that from these networks. But I really just I, I don't know how he's going to get that when that runs out, and that's going to be a bunch of money that the NFL and their owners, specific and really Goodell's bosses, are going to be expecting to get from from uh, the networks and that they're not going to. And I think that's going to be, a, I mean, it's it's a centerpiece of really the whole NFL strategy. You know, they're behind baseball and the NBA and the NHL in, in terms of how they use the web and how they, and, and offering online products. And, and sure, they've done the, the Twitter thing, but even that, they've just, used, they've used Twitter and Yahoo as another TV network as right. opposed to actually like doing something interesting with their online product and i think you know you're going to see 
that the ramifications of that, and I think you're going to you're going to see that be an issue for him. That again, as I as I kind of said in a larger aspect, in a, as a larger thesis of the piece, the per, the NFL problems. We'll get into more of them, but the NFL problems that they all have are all problems that are going to resolve a creative, inventive. Uh, all sorts of imaginative mind to solve. And really, you can argue that a lot of Goodell's success, and by success, I mean making money for the owners, which is the only real measure for success he has and the only measure he's really paid for. And the reason he's kept his job, while that all, uh, as far as that's concerned, uh, it's going to be a lot harder for him to keep that going in the future. Also, one quick thing. Yeah. Next time you talk to Deitch, ask him why he blocked me on Twitter. I assume it was like an accident. I will. I I, try, I find that all the time. There's this Saints writer named Jeff Duncan who's been on our show all the time. I've discovered I'm blocked by him, and I think it's because someone else like tagged me in a thread with him, and he got mad at that guy. I never said anything negative to him. I've known. I, I think I've that happens. For years. I've known Deitch for years, and I make fun of him occasionally as much as they've been. He doesn't block Drew. Drew wrote a whole piece about how Richard Deitch sucks. Yeah, he's usually not that sexy. And he didn't block him. Yeah, he's not Yeah, sexy. I don't know what I did to Deitch. I don't know what I did to Deitch, but, uh, but uh, next time you talk to him, I'm asking. I will. Uh, the, the, the thing I think the NFL would say about this is, hey, look at the WWE, right? In, two, in, the, in, the, in the, mid, uh, the early 2000s when they had the Attitude Era boom, uh, and they had, you know, 8 million people watching on a given Monday night. Their television contract was significantly lower than now when they have only 3 million people watching each week because they simply say to USA, hey, we might not have the 8 million we had 10 years ago, but we still have the highest rated cable show every week when the NFL isn't playing. So wouldn't the NFL say, yeah, sure, we don't have the ratings from five years ago, but we still are the highest. This is still this is still the best product you can give to an advertiser. You know, it's DVR proof. We still get 50 million viewers for a playoff game, 100 million for the Super Bowl, you know, and whatever 25 million for a four o'clock game on a Sunday. I mean, isn't that their strategy to try to try to? I I understand that, but I mean, the proof is in the fact that like literally all of these networks would opt out of these deals in a second if they had the chance. Now, right. maybe maybe a Fox Sports One, for example, they decide if they decide that you know that that you're trying to unmask the deep state is not actually a great strategy for them in the long term, and decide to actually really kind of pony up for uh, for big NFL games. You know, maybe you can keep finding a sucker. You know the way that uh, the people used to always kind of trade. Uh, people used to always trade with the Knicks in the NBA. Like, you know, maybe you, you can always have a reliable sucker, so you can make up for the mistakes that you make. But I don't know, man. I just don't think that's the way the industry is going. Clearly, unbundling is happening yeah. uh, when it comes to television networks, and cord cutting is is clearly happening. It's affecting every other aspect of the media business. The NFL has been an exception for a while, but I think basing an entire strategy on being able to continue to do that moving forward, I think is the definition of magical thinking. Interesting. Uh, you say in the next five years, uh, there's almost a virtual certainty that there will be a strike in 2021. The NFLPA is basically already planning on it. Uh, clearly, there's labor peace now, but there's sharks out there in the waters. Uh, what do you think is? What do you think will be the the main issues that that will divide the players and the owners in 2021? Is it going to be? Is the, are the owners going to try to hold on? to guarantee contracts and are the players going to finally put their foot down or, or what, what will be the big issues you think? 
I think, well, the first main issue is that the NFLPA, for the first time, is actually talking like an actual sports union that actually will defend. Uh, you know, I think that the way if, if you know, my theory on this is one of the best things that could have happened for the NFL Players Union is Michelle Roberts, who is the NBA's player union right. rep- uh, representative. Yeah, she good. has been aggressive. Yep. She's like, and I think you can make arguments. Uh, Against like if you're an NBA fan, for example, she is probably the main reason that Kevin Durant is on the Warriors. If that bothers you, it doesn't bother me. No. But some people, it's really bothered by. And the reason, because you know she and and the reason that Golden State can kind of pack up a little bit, uh, stack up a little bit, is because she didn't want the cap smoothing that Silver wanted, and she fought against that. More to the and, but again, why does she care? It's not her problem. What uh, her her job is to is to be the representative of the players, and that's a new model. To be honest, and I think that it, it, uh, the new model is certainly in the NBA and in the in, in the NFL. I think that the uh, there's an aggression there to defend the players' interests that the NBA, I think, has clearly shown can be effective. And the NFL, I don't think there's any question, is starting to see that. And I think one of the reasons you're seeing more and more kind of uh, more proactive statements from the NFL Players Association is I think they're emboldened by the success the NBA has had. Now, let's not go over the top with the NBA uh, success. The players still deserve a larger percentage of the of the revenue in that. But clearly, the NFL, the, the Players Association is ready to finally freaking fight, which is good because they almost have nothing anymore. Like they've, they've lost almost every labor battle for the last 30 years. So there's probably due for them to actually kind of rev up a little bit. And I think that's kind of the issue is you know I, you wonder too this kind of ties into the first part uh, the first part of this one of the reasons people worry about a baseball work stoppage in the future is baseball is just making so much money right now and almost kind of surprise money like the ML, MLB advanced media has made a ton of money for the owners they almost weren't expecting so they're kind of stacking up in case it ever comes down to where they have to do a work stoppage the NFL the, like a lot of these NFL owners, this is their business. Like this is their loan business, and they have gotten very uh, kind of fat catty and very accustomed to making that amount of money. And I think they might not be as incentivized to sit out a work stoppage the way they were last time this labor issue came up. I think I think there's one coming. I think there's one coming. I think the NFLPA is motivated to make major changes, and uh, I think the the NFL owners. If just evidenced by the fact that they are so happy with Goodell, even though he screwed up every single aspect of the job, except for the one that makes them a lot of money, uh, is I think there's a if, uh, as a baseball fan, baseball is my favorite sport. And uh, that's the that I think I am mildly worried about labor issues in there. NBA, I'm less worried about labor issues, but uh, NFL is the one flashing big red alert come 2021. Yeah, the NHL is also definitely having the lockout. Uh, next time around as well. Um, Definitely. Uh, All right. The next two, we kind of talked about ratings, so we'll skip that one. We kind of did that. But you do – now we get into Kaepernick a bit, Uh, the the idea that there could be a lawsuit, a collusion lawsuit uh, because of Kaepernick being blackballed. And then also you say that the NFL has not, in fact, stopped any of the troubles Kaepernick's protest caused and now actually have more players sitting for national anthems than ever before with more every week. I wonder what the NFL really should or could have done about yeah. it in the sense that I thought the 49ers handled it really well. Um, uh, the the league in general has kind of let the players uh, do do their thing. I know that now, uh, obviously, Kaepernick hasn't found a job, and it seems like – I kind of understand, though. I mean, 
I'll put, I, I understand what you're getting at. I, I, of all the things that Goodell has screwed up, this is not one I think is inherently his fault. Right. I not think much that, he could do about it, kind of. I, now, I do think he's been very mealy-mouthed about it. And, and, and I think that a kind of a true leader, I don't know why you would expect him to be that person, <laughs> but a true leader might have made a definitive statement, frankly, one way or the other. Like, you know, like, you know he could have done the David Stern thing. And try to massage it in a well. We have a player conduct rule, or like you know, this is like advertisements on the socks, or so on, uh, or, or different equipment, or so on. He could have tried to massage, and that I think that would have been bunk. But that's something he could have tried, or he could have said, "We support our players to do whatever they want, and this is America, and and and, and this is what they should, and we support any uh, kind of express, uh, self expression on the field." He didn't do that either. He just kind of like mushy mouthed a little in the middle, hoping this problem would go away. And to me, the, the the what you've seen this preseason is a pretty solid example of how not only it's go, not going away. Listen, a lot of the reaction, a lot of the uh, I think what you're seeing in regard to the, these new players, uh, not saying for the anthem, is in response not just to what Kaepernick did, but in response to the response to Kaepernick. I think to the idea. The Kaepernick doesn't have a job. Like you cannot tell me that he is not better than those people playing quarterback for Jacksonville in a system where he would fit. By the way, so like it, it, it's pretty impossible to argue when, when you've got the Ravens out there publicly going, maybe we should do it or maybe we shouldn't, well, and, and, right. and the coaches are for it and the owners aren't. It. It's hard to argue that it's not off-field stuff happening. And I think that's inspiring the players to want to do even more. Well, let me jump in a little bit here and let's toss this around a little bit. Uh, I thought the Ravens are kind of a good example of there not being collusion in the sense that they thought about it, they even crowdsourced it, and then they decided it was more trouble than it's worth. Why? That's not illegal, is it? I, I, don't own, a, think I illegal, own a business, huh? I considered an employee, and I decided I'd h- rather hire someone else. I mean, I, under- I understand that, but you also have the idea of. There's th- if there's 30 people all thinking the exact same way, how coincidental, by the way, that these 30 people all happen to have the exact same view on this. There, it is a closed market. I mean, on a certain level, listen, collusion is famously hard to prove. It was hard to prove collusion in baseball when, when they were totally admitting that they were colluding. Like, it's really hard to prove that. So I think that I, uh, it's, but certainly if you don't think that that's going to be, like, if he goes through this whole season, it doesn't get a job. That's, that's not going anywhere. Like that situation is not going away. And, well, yeah, I and, think the media will make sure. It and like whether they win the law, whether they whether they win the lawsuit or lose the lawsuit. Like even if they lose the lawsuit, the NFL isn't getting bankrupted. The issue is not one of money. The issue is one of public relations. Like this whole thing has been all along. And the idea that you, that look. Looking at the NFL and saying, yes, 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 every owner can make an individual uh, decision. How strange is it that literally all 32 owners made this happen to come to the same decision? I I think that's something that uh, people are going to make a lot of hay of. Yeah, well, you know what? You look at Ray Rice. Everyone made the decision that he wasn't a good enough running back uh, to hire post the video. But the owner in Cincinnati decided that Joe Mixon was a good enough running back to hire despite his video. Uh, and I think that this is the same thing. I just think that no one – like, look, at if you're, if you're in the middle of training camp and your quarterback gets injured, do you really want to bring Colin Kaepernick and the circus that is now going to follow him? No, no fault of his own necessarily. You really want – it's just like Tebow. Tebow just wasn't worth the trouble, the noise, the, the crowd that follows him. He just wasn't good enough for, to get someone else to bite. 
Like, this just seems to be the case with Kaepernick for me. If he was as good as Andrew Luck, he'd have a job. But I mean, not. I understand. And you could I, I say he's that. better than the guys in Jacksonville. But, you know, Jacksonville has a guy in, like, his third or fourth year. They drafted third overall, and they weren't ready to give up. Now, they are now, it seems like. Uh, so maybe you'd have a better case going into next season on there. But was Jacksonville really just going to give up on Blake Bortles? I mean, he had a really good season two years ago. Regressed last year, but I don't know. We could go all, through all the situations and say, well, maybe here, right. maybe there. But I think in the end, it's just that. It's it's a lot it's a lot of noise. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I understand that. I understand that, and I do understand that each of these are individual decisions. But like with the Tebow thing, I mean, the Tebow circus was like like the Tebow like the Tebow circus in a way was like kind of a positive, right? The Jets didn't have a problem with it. That wasn't a bad thing for this. The problem with Tebow for the Jets is that he wasn't good. The problem with Tebow for the Patriots is that he wasn't good. It wasn't like Belichick cut. Tebow because he was like, eh, I'm tired of all this circus around here. Like he didn't, he got him because he wasn't good enough to play. Now maybe, maybe Kaepernick isn't. Like listen, I to me it seems, you know, I, I make no claim to be a quarterback guru, but it would certainly seem unusual to me that a guy would go from the super, from a Super Bowl quarterback to literally unable to be ahead of Brian Hoyer uh, in 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 three years. Or or uh, but you know that seems, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But certainly. You'd think they would be worthy of a of, of a of a camp of a of certainly an inv- invite to camp, and I think that's really the issue. It's not that this is a whole league where the whole compass of the league is supposed to be pointing to win at any cost, win at any cost, win at any cost. The whole thing is all in in support of that. That's that's the message that they sell constantly, and then uh, this is certainly a message that seems uh, at odds with that. Yeah, I, I guess. We probably sort of agree on some things and disagree a little bit. I don't know that he helps anyone that win that much. I, I watched – I'm a big Saints fan, and I got to watch Kaepernick play a game last year. I, I don't claim to have watched him play much beyond that. But, you know, he got to come to the Superdome and play one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL. Not as bad as the year before, but still not a very good defense. A defense that is the main reason the Saints finished 7-9. and nine. Uh and he wasn't good at all. I mean, he was one of the quarterbacks that they had no problem containing. They never lost track of him. He had a couple touchdown passes. He had a really good deep touchdown, but the cornerback fell down. I don't know. He just – I don't know. I, I think it's 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 very similar to Ray Rice and Joe Mixon. I, I just think he's just not worth it. I mean – If he was worth – if someone really thought he was worth it, I think they'd bring him in. I really do. I mean, I th- I think it's kind of a sad thing to say that, like, literally what he's doing is the similar situation as Joe Mixon well, and Ray no, 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 like, that's I, a zero I, mean, I know, I know, I know that that's not what you're saying. No, but I think I know. I'm not blaming you in this, but the fact that the I think NFL owners actually are equating those two things is pretty bad. <laughs> it's is pretty bad. I'll put it that way. I think it's pretty. It's kind of a sad thing that that in this zero sum game, that's. That's the result. I don't know. It, it strikes me as very odd. All right, let's move on. Let's uh, do one more. This is the big one, I guess. Uh, you say it's facing a core existential crisis with head injuries and CT diagnosis, which evolved from vague concerns and ominous medical reports to players actively quitting in their primes to save their brains. Uh, studies now show that a terrifying 99% of deceased NFL players who donated their brains to science suffer from some sort of CT. I will say one thing about that 99%. Uh, pretty much all those guys kind of knew they had it, and that's why they donated their brain, right? 
I, I mean, I, I, I get for as much as that you can know that you have a disease that you can't be that that is that you only know the symptoms of by having violent outbursts and having and being deep upset and you is still not completely diagnosed until after death yes i agree i'm not saying no one no one is claiming i don't no one that study claimed that currently 99 percent of nfl players have cte but what but but it's hard to argue that these players clearly worried about something had, had to be related to that disease i think that 99 percent figure did get carried away a little bit but that's why i didn't say 99 percent of players have of nfl players have cte right because 99 percent of the players were concerned enough to find out actually did all have it well, I think all this has been great because what it's done is, like you said, there isn't vague concerns anymore. It's very simple. The concern is this. I, I, I've used this analogy a couple times. I worked hockey schools when I was in college to kind of pay the bills. And uh, I would spend the summer kind of traveling around this school. And I, I worked with a bunch of guys who were from Canada. And um, a couple of them were OHL kind of washouts. And they knew they were reaching the end kind of their hockey career. And the, a bunch of them had this plan. They're like... In Canada, uh, if you don't get an education, you know that you can travel out west to Alberta and work for huge money in the oil fields. These guys were like, we could make eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year right away working in the oil fields. And they knew that the reason those jobs paid so much is because all of the lives of the people who work there usually went one of three ways. Either they would end up with a drug addiction out there, which I guess was really high. Uh, there's a lot of drugs uh, in the job. Or uh, the job itself would kind of run its course. Or they would kind of uh, move away from the job into upper management and have great lives. Kind of like one of these three possibilities they knew. And the guys I worked with would say, look, I know the risks out there, but the money is worth it to me. And I think the NFL has become that kind of a job where everyone now knows the risks and the league even has some precautions in place to try to minimize them, even though we can talk about how they might be disingenuous about those sometimes. Uh, and they get to make a clear decision on whether or not they want to take that risk in exchange for uh, the lifestyle that the job then affords them. Um, so I kind of look at it as a positive thing that everything's on the table now. Uh, there's no gray area anymore. No? Uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, I feel like a the idea uh, the idea that uh, the I don't know if the NFL is entirely going to be on board with the idea that well you know it's like working in the coal mines where you get black lung and you just try to survive your time. I think that that and I think more to the point that's something that I think can't help but affect the way that the consumers. Are gonna react and, and uh, to that. It's funny. I was talking to this. I had uh, Patrick Ruby on my podcast four years ago, and I and he said he told me that on the podcast that uh, I'm just not gonna watch the NFL anymore. And I was like, "You're a sports writer that's not gonna watch the NFL." I just thought he was a lunatic, <laughs> and I thought he was. And 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 he's like, "You wait, you wait, you'll see more of it." And I have to say, that you do see more of it. I don't think that it's enough to make a massive uh, dent in the ratings. But the idea that if you're gonna tell the average consumer that hey so you know your super bowl gives people black lung <laughs> like your your enjoyment of your doritos is going to do that i think it can help to have an effect never minding the fact that these are all just studies that are coming out now like the idea that the idea that a uh, a 10 year old kid 
you know, look at look apparently. You ask the parents of these players that are going this now and say, would they make this decision? Did they know? Was there was there no gray area for them? Was there no? Did they have all the cards on the table? So you know, I think that uh, I I think that uh, I think that's uh, certainly if you believe in a world where everyone has just the autonomy to make those sort of choices and there are no other context to that and it's all just this theoretically uh, great world where there are no pressures on them to uh, to be forced to make decisions like that yeah maybe everything is on the table but i'm not sure i'm not sure having the nfl one side and poor people just trying uh, uh, poor families just trying to figure out a way to uh, to live and, and have a quote lifestyle for three years and by lifestyle means that you can push yourself all the way through this and if you uh if you break your if you break your leg they can cut you and not pay for your medical expenses i i I, I feel like there's enough imbalance there that I'm wary of going all the way with you on. Right. Well, I do agree that it seems insane. I think their biggest labor issue that they should absolutely die on the sword for is this non-guaranteed contract thing. I mean, I can't believe the owners get away with it. They've let, you know, we talked about that earlier about how bad they've been mm-hmm. at fighting for themselves. And it seems like they're done, uh, done doing that. So hopefully that's something they improve. But, you know, it's interesting that you brought up poor people because, um, it's a fair argument, and it's one that I made and got killed for uh, when it came to Oklahoma's decision to not throw Joe Mixon out of college. Um, you know, my point was just that it seemed insane to me. You know, this happened like the third day that Joe Mixon was at OU. Um, I don't know if you were aware of that or not. Um, it happened almost right away. Uh, and I just made the argument that, you know, Stoops punished Mixon exactly the way the courts did, you know, made him sit out a year. Um, and uh, I just thought that it wasn't fair to just throw him back to, you know, where he came from, where which actually Joe Mixon wasn't really a poor kid. But it's just a, right. a larger point of I thought that Oklahoma had some responsibility to someone that they promised to make a better human being. Uh, he screwed up his second or third day there, and I know we got to wrap up, but um, it's something we can get into more, I guess, another time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I, I understand that in a macro sense, but you know, I think that I mean, this is the fundamental cynicism of everything: is that if you really break it down. Oklahoma is not promising him to become a better person. Oklahoma is just trying to use him as much as they can to to make themselves as much money, and then good luck with you. And right. like, oh, they're definitely pretend- disingenuous, but they did yeah. make that promise. They might be disingenuous about it, but absolutely, Bob Stoops stood in his parents' kitchen and said, "Send him yeah, to, to my school, Bob, and I'm going to make him a Bob, man." Bob Stoops sits, stands in a lot of parents' kitchens and says that, and they get a lot of kids get released for doing a lot less than what Joe Mixon did. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right about that for sure, but. Um, uh, also, Bob Stoops has been known and criticized for being very much a second chance coach. And I think it was uh, Ryan Broyles um, who wrote a really, really good uh, piece. I don't think it was Players Tribune, but something like it, uh, discussing the. He had, I think, 30 different cases where Stoops uh, gave a guy a second chance, um, and not all of the guys were stars. But I don't want to turn this into a defending Bob Soups thing because I didn't mean it to, <laughs> and I know you do have to go. Uh, I want to lay everything out real quick. Will Leach, nice enough to join us. He's at William F. Leach on Twitter, L-E-I-T-C-H. Uh, the Will Leach Experience Sports Podcast is available on iTunes, wherever you download uh, podcasts. I guess it's called Apple Podcasts now, of course. Uh, you can also find his work on sportsonearth.com. And is there anything else you'd like to plug? 
Uh, no, I have a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash William F. Leach. You can read that. It just links to everything I have. Otherwise, uh, I'm just happy to come on with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for all the time. It was fun kind of playing devil's advocate and bouncing those things around. And uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get at each other soon and, and talk some more about some other stuff. Go Cardinals. Of course. Thanks. Yes, go Birds. All right. <laughs> all right be safe, man. Thanks. Yeah. I want to thank Will Leach for being on the show today. Always love having Will. Fun little talk about Commissioner Goodell there. All right. With that said, it is time. No, it's not. First, Stingray Afternoons is the book club book of the month. It's written by Steve Russian. You can find it wherever books are sold. It's a memoir about growing up in the 70s. And a friend of the show, uh, Jack McCollum, who's the author of one of the book club books of the year, Dream Team. Okay. Uh, he wrote an essay on his blog at jackmccollum.com yesterday about the book. He really liked Stinger Afternoons. It's not a review, he said. He wanted to be clear, but uh, it was an essay about the book. He liked it a lot. These are friends and colleagues. He admits that. Uh, but he puts over Russian as one of the best writers of all time, sports writers of all time. And uh, let's see. Let's read a blurb on the back. If you existed in the 1970s, had any awareness of the world around you, Steve Russian's Stingray Afternoons is going to hit you like the smell of clearal herbal essence shampoo. <laughs> Smart as heck, laugh out loud, funny, and warm. Russian's memoir does for 1970 childhoods what Jane Shepard did for 1940s Christmas. The book is nothing short of a perfect time. Nice. That's from Julie Clam. All right, so Stinger Afternoons, check out the essay by McCollum on his site if you're interested. All right, with all that said, it is now time uh, for the book club book of the month, book of the year reveal. Uh, the first winner of this award was Jeff Perlman for his book sweetness. Nope. <laughs> I like it. Uh, the second uh, winner was Jack McCollum for Dream Team. Then we had David Shoemaker, who won for The Squared Circle. Followed by Blake J. Harris, who won for Console Wars. Uh, and last year, Molly Knight won for the best team best money, team money can buy. So, this year's winner. We narrowed it down. And then we narrowed it down again. And then we narrowed it down again. And now we have two. Cubs Way, Tom Gucci, and SL Prices book about El <laughs> Cuba It's not a long drum roll. <laughs> The winner of the Sportscasters Book Club, Book of the Month, Book of the Year is Playing Through the Whistle, Steal Football in an American Town by S.L. Price. It's a book that we had anticipated and talked about for years on the show, and it delivered. It's an excellent look at uh, social, economical impact of football, uh, football's impact on communities. Uh, tragedy, triumph, everything. It's got all kinds of emotions. It's really a wonderful book. Uh, and S.L. Price is an amazing writer, one of the best there is, really. And uh, it's another very worthy winner of an award that features a lot of really great sports books and one really great book about video games. Right. Uh, so we're excited to have Playing Through the Whistle as the Book Club Book of the Year. I will let Mr. Price know. And hopefully he will come on for a victory lap soon. 
We still do have a few copies of it. If you're interested in one, I can send you one. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I can get you one. But with that, all that said, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and replay our interview from earlier in the week with Sean McDonough. <laughs> All right, our next guest is from Boston and is a Syracuse grad. He calls play-by-play for Monday Night Football. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sean McDonough. How's it going, Sean? I'm doing quite well, Steve. How are you doing today? Doing really good. Doing really good. I was listening last night to our interview last year, mm-hmm. and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I had a laugh that I actually asked you about the 1998 Hockey Olympics. You probably don't get that one very often, do you? <laughs> no, but I uh, there was a great memory. I enjoyed that immensely. It was a great experience to do the Olympic hockey. Maverick 98 was the first year that the women played, and it was also, I believe, the first year that the NHL guys were allowed to play. So yep. it was noteworthy for a lot of reasons. I wanted to ask you, I think this is probably one you get a little bit more frequently, but I wanted to ask you about the Sid Bream play. Um, I I watched that game. I was, I think a lot, that was 91. Or was that 91 or 92? I was 11 or 12. No, right? I was 92. Yeah, 12. I was 12. And, you know, I was in Buffalo, so we didn't have a baseball team, but the Braves were a team you could watch every day. You could basically watch the Braves every day. You could watch the Cubs every day. And you could watch the Yankees most days. And that was about it. So I watched the Braves a lot. Loved those pitchers. Was into that series. And I thought there was no chance in hell Bream was going to score there. I was curious. Were you watching on monitor? Or were you looking out at the field? And did you think Bonds was going to nail him? Or what was your what was your view of that play? Wow, it's a good question. It was so long ago, it's hard to remember. You know, I typically kind of go back and forth between the monitor and the field. You know, it, with baseball, especially when the balls hit, you know, there's so many different things happening. There's the ball and the fielder, but there's also the progress of the runners as they're going around the bases. And obviously the director is cutting back and forth between all those. And I always try to match what I say to what the people are seeing on the screen. So most of the time you're watching the monitor, but you'd have to look up from time to time, even if it's a brief glance, just to make sure you know, one of the runners didn't trip and fall down or the fielder didn't boot the ball while, you know, we were on a shot of the runner. So I always kind of go back and forth. And, you know, it was a dramatic ending, obviously. I think Steve Hurt from the Elias Sports Bureau made the argument that you could say it was really one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting postseason game of all time, given that the way it ended in the ninth inning and everything that went into that ending that was unusual. So... A lot of people ask me, what's the best game you ever called? If that wasn't it, it was. it's certainly right there in the top two or three, and I don't know what would surpass it. Do you remember if you thought Browns was going to throw him out or not? No, I don't. I mean, I think you could tell it was you know, transpiring that it was going to be close, and obviously you know, Sid Bream was notorious for being a very, very slow runner. I think he'd had several knee surgeries by that point yeah. in his career. So, you know, that, that made it... Uh, compelling as well and I think that's part of what made the whole moment special was you know that he was the runner and Bonds was the fielder and you know there was there were so many things that went into that whole game but particularly that ninth inning and 
Yeah, I just remember it was about the loudest I've ever heard a stadium when uh, he slid across the plate. I mean, it was the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and you could almost feel the place shaking. You know, it was just uh, unbelievably loud. Yeah, it's earlier in that season, the, Dave Justice scored the tying run and Sid Bream scored the winning run, and earlier in that season they had had a race uh, to prove that they were both trying to prove they weren't the slowest one on the team. Uh <laughs> And I think Justice yeah, I didn't know that. Race, you know, Justice but... had the easy part because he was already on right. third base, so yeah, you know he, he basically had to trot home. Yeah. But uh, you yeah. know, the best part of David Justice for us back then was he was married to Halle Berry, who used to sit right below the booth, and when she would come take her seat, she would wave up at Tim McCarver and me. So that was always <laughs> a highlight to any day. What did McCar- did McCarver say anything to you about having the ice dumped on him? Yeah, he wasn't happy. You know, there was a lot of interesting circumstances around that play because, you know, uh, Tim actually left um, to go down to the locker room and uh, interview people, and that's when Deion Sanders threw the buckets of ice on him that you are referring to. And, you know, I called that play, Sid Bream scores, and my voice was kind of cracking, and, uh, you know, it was so loud I couldn't even really hear what I said, but I know that, you know, my voice got pretty squealy and um in my mind i'm thinking you know did i just blow the biggest play of my life here and uh and then tim went down i didn't know because a lot of the ice buckets uh, that got thrown on them by dion were when we weren't on camera with them so i i don't think that we really knew that this was happening so you know we finally get off the air and i was walking back down to the trucks with my friend Billy Andrade, who's a professional golfer, and his wife Jody, who they had been standing in the back of our booth. They live in Atlanta. And I was telling them, oh, my God, you know, that's the most dramatic ending I'll ever call, and I think I might have blown it. And then when we got down there, all the CBS people were hugging me and telling me how awesome it was, and so that was a big relief. And then here comes McCarver, you know, drenched from head to toe and really, really angry, and he was explaining to us what was going on. You know, we had been critical, somewhat critical of Dion because he had promised the uh, Atlanta Braves that during the postseason he would not go play football. At the time, he was doing both. And then, you know, during the series, he went and played in a, play, in a game for the Atlanta Falcons and hurt his ankle and really wasn't at 100%. So I don't think Dion appreciated Tim in particular uh, making those statements. So that's sort of what prompted it. But, you know, Tim was angry enough that I think he would have liked to have gone back down to the clubhouse and uh, we convinced him that that was not a good idea. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for that. That's really good. Uh, I would play one of these highlights, but I know if I play one, it's going to be Skip Carry or something, you know, because I didn't have a chance. You know how you listen. This is an interesting thing. Whenever I try to play Sabres highlights, I want to hear the Generat one. I'll sit through a minute ad, and then it'll be, you know, Bob Cole or something. I love Bob Cole, but, you know, when you listen to a Sabres highlight, <laughs> you want to hear Generat. Yeah, Bob Cole's great. Bob Cole, Bob is, Cole is actually doing the Olympics in 98. Uh Canadian television when we were over there, so I had a chance to spend a little time with him. He's amazing with his pauses. You know, like when he'll call a, a huge play, he's great at – he throws the one words out. You know, like he'll say, like, goal, and then he'll stop, and then he'll maybe say senators or Leafs or something. Stop again. He's, he's really good. He is a treasure. Yeah, well, he's a great announcer, legendary yeah. announcer, and uh, great appreciation for the hockey announcers because it's not – that easy, particularly on the radio. I think it's impossible on the radio, and I don't know how the guys who do that do it so well. But uh, but it's a fun sport to call, that's for sure. It's one of the things I wish we still had at ESPN that we don't, and who knows, maybe someday we'll get it back. Yeah, I think it was 
Butchergrass was on, I want to say, pardon my take, or one of those saying that he, he thinks it's a certainty that, I mean, he's speculating, he doesn't know, but he thinks that ESPN will get back in the game. Would you want to call hockey again if ESPN was a part of it? Or are you kind of focused on Oh, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Remember, that was one of the very few negatives. Last year, when I got the Monday Night Football thing, was I was supposed to be one of the play-by-play people on the World Cup of Hockey up in Toronto last September, and uh, because it conflicted with Monday Night Football, I got taken off that, which, you know, if that's the worst thing that has to happen to do Monday Night Football, then that's fine. But it would have been fun to do because I love doing hockey. So if we got it back, I'd love to be a part of it if they wanted me to be. Very cool. Hey, I want to ask you, you mentioned last year when we talked to you, we talked to you in October, but I wonder now after a season and a summer to reflect on it, uh, what did you think was the best and maybe the worst of your first year calling Monday Night Football? Um, well, those are good questions. The, oh, the, you know, the, the best part of it for me was probably the game that we did in New England um, in December. It was just so emotional for me having grown up going down to the old Foxborough Stadium with my dad as a kid when he was covering the Patriots week in and week out for the Boston Globe. You know, we just been, went down there so many times. And, you know, it was pretty emotional that night to walk in there and, you know, be thinking about my dad who'd been gone for about 14 years at the time. And when I got into the booth at Gillette Stadium, one of the, the technicians said, you know, there was a guy in here a few minutes ago who was looking for you, he left something for you on the counter where we stand by the monitors. So I went over there, and Mike Reese, our friend and colleague from the, from the ESPN, who covers the Patriots a lot, uh, kind of idolized my dad growing up. He had left me a copy of the special section that the Globe did when my dad died with a lot of tributes and really nice articles and you know, quotes from famous sports people around the country and with a little note about how proud my dad would be and how he was thinking of my dad on the nights, which was really so kind to him. So it was a very emotional experience on a, on a lot of levels. You know, I think the worst of it, um, I don't know if there is a bad part of doing Monday Night Football. I'd have to struggle to think of. I mean, you know, there there are times when you wish you'd done things better. You know, I think, um, you know, I think the worst part of it was uh, some people were kind of critical of the, my alleged lack of chemistry with John Gruden at the beginning of the year, which I thought was silly because, I mean, when you've done one or two games together, you know, these are people on sports talk show hosts who probably worked with their co-hosts for 15 years who are talking about, Oh, it doesn't sound like those guys have any chemistry or like each other, which is absolute nonsense. But, you know, I, I think that went away as the season went away because we got more and more comfortable with each other's timing and rhythm and, you know, what the other person likes or doesn't like. And, you know, I think these two exhibition games we've done so far this year have been great in that regard. And uh, it's like anything else. The more time you spend around somebody, the more you get to know them, the, the easier it is to uh, to do well together. So. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be liking the Mad Dog after one radio show, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's silly. I mean, it, yeah. it was so silly. I'm like, geez, we've done what, one game, two games. You know, it's uh, under a lot of scrutiny, and you're still, you know, and it's not just a new partner in the booth, but it's new for me at least. It was new people in the truck, and you, know, you understand. I think a lot of people probably listen to your podcast understand. You know, that's that's a big deal for us too. I mean, different producers and directors, and all the other people who work with them, graphics people, and videotape people, you know, they, they all work at a different pace, a different philosophy, you know, and communicate into our ear differently than other people that you've worked with in the past. So, 
you know, there are adjustments on a lot of levels, and um, you know, I, I think anybody thought we were going to be as good as we could be, you know, in the first or second week was kind of delusional. But uh, but we're past that now, and um, you know, just trying to uh, get better. We spent a lot of time this off season together. Uh, watching tapes and talking about philosophy and what we thought was good about last year and wh- where we could definitely get better. And, you know, that's what we're going to try to do, accentuate the positives and, and correct the negatives. I don't mean to jump around, uh, but you did mention your father. And, and I, I was researching last night. And I thought I found something really interesting. I thought uh, Ed Sherman is a friend of this podcast. And you had you had mentioned to him uh, that in, in uh, I think it was 99 or, yeah, back in 99 when uh, CBS – uh, didn't renew you, you actually thought about quitting. And it was you were on a walk with your dad, according to legend, and um, he kind of talked you out of it. And and uh, do, do you reflect on that at all? And, and, and when maybe when you're in the Monday night football booth in Boston, like you described, and, and is that something that sticks out? As, as uh... Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that made this Monday night opportunity so special, I mean, it would have been special in any you know event because of what it is i mean it's 48 years now monday football coming up and there've only been five play by play people so you know i would have felt incredibly blessed and excited to have this opportunity no matter what but you know i think it meant even more to me just because of the sort of winding path that it took me to get there you and i have talked about some of this already today in terms of you know having the chance to do the world series when you're 30 years old you know, you kind of think, well, that's going to become the norm. And then, you know, it isn't the norm. CBS lost the rights to do the baseball and other things happen. I, you know, the, the thing in 99, leaving CBS, it was just so out of the blue. And, I, you know, I, I've come to know sort of the reasons why some of it happened, I guess. And uh, that'll be in the book someday, I guess. Right. But for now, it's better. You know, it's just it, there was really no good reason for it at the time. And uh, there still wasn't really any good reason for it. And, uh so that was the jarring thing. You know, I'd, I'd sort of steadily been on the climb. I mean, for example, you mentioned the improvement of my Olympic assignment. I'd gone from doing the the bobsled and luge to doing uh, the ice hockey. And, you know, I was really on the climb there to the point where when the NFL came back to CBS, you know, a lot of my friends there were telling me, well, when we get the NFL back, you'll be our number one NFL guy and you'll do the Super Bowl. And, you know, not only did that happen, but I wound up not staying because uh, they said they needed my money and my events because they wanted to hire Dick Enberg. So it's like, okay, and I understand that. Dick Enberg's great, but you're going to need a lot of other people too right. when you have six or seven yes. you know, regional games every week. But anyway, it's ancient history now, and uh, and everything happens for a reason. I've said many times, you know, I'm a huge believer that God has a plan for our lives, and we don't always uh, start heading where we want to be or we think we want to be or where we should be. But if you trust in that, I think more often than not, it, it works out well. And, you know, uh, it worked out exceedingly well for me. And, you know, it's, uh, there were some bumps along the road, but I really wouldn't change any of it. Yeah, I wasn't meaning to associate a negative either. I thought the cool part of that. Oh, no, I, I, I'm not, and, I know you weren't, man. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in the past now, isn't it? It's, it seems hard to believe that's, what, 18 years ago? But, um but it was a tough thing to go through, and, and what compounded, Stephen, I think made me so emotional, made me just wonder if I wanted to do something else. You know, you work hard to get there, you work hard to do a good job for these people and, and you know, get along with everybody and, you know, to, to just have it happen. And it happened right on top of, you know, my agent, who was one of my dear friends, was a great 
gentleman by the name of Robert Fraley, and in October of 1999, he died in the plane crash with Payne Stewart. So, oh, no. you know, that was uh, still real emotional and raw and trying to process and deal with that. And then, you know, a couple months later, when you don't you know, have an agent, you know, and they you get the call from CBS that they're not going to renew you. It wasn't, it was a really rough fall, but you know, I think, you know, leaving CBS to me, that would have been a lot more difficult. It had the thing with Robert had not, you know, just happened, but you know, that was so much more important than any contractual thing, you know, losing uh, such a wonderful person that, you know, at that point I almost didn't give a hoot (laughs) whether I stayed at CBS or not, you know, is that maybe part of the reason why you thought about quitting, just because you didn't have your, your agent anymore? No, it's just sort of, I don't know, it's just the randomness of it, the fact that you have no control, you know, and, and that's always going to be the case. I mean, I might think you're a great sportscaster, someone else might think you're terrible, and they both have what they think are legitimate reasons. So, you know, you're, you're constantly at the mercy of people's, you know, individual preferences. You know, someone I might think is a terrific sportscaster, you might think stinks, so... Um, yeah, I think the, the randomness of it, you know, to me at the time was really unfair about it. Um, but you know, there's just so much about it that I was like, if this is the way this business goes, then maybe I want to go do something else, you know? So, and then thinking maybe I should do something that's a little more important too. You know, one of my frustrations that I've verbalized in the past is as fun as this is, and it's really fun, unbelievable way to make a living. You know, we're not curing cancer. You know, what I've come to realize though, is we do bring enjoyment to it, uh, to people if we do it the right way. So, um, but you know, there are other productive things you could be doing with your life too. And it was a time for me to sort of think about, maybe I just want to go do something else. Well, that's an interesting thing too. But I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah. Oh, we're glad too. Uh, that's an interesting thing that you bring up too, because you know, in 2017, things are so hyper political and times are tense. The days are tough. You know, I know personally, uh, I look at sports as a, a great way to kind of escape from some of those realities, um, just kind of enjoy a game, you know, kind of. Right. And uh, I wonder as a broadcaster, someone who has convictions, who, who cares about certain political aspects, do you fight with the balance of, you know, wanting to use your platform, if that's the right way to describe it? Um, to touch on certain topics with uh, the other side of just wanting to call a ball game and offer that outlet, as you said. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I know there's been a lot of attention in recent years about ESPN and the supposed, you know, political leanings of the company or the network or, you know, I, I've been there for a long time. I have never been involved in one conversation with any management person, you know, other than uh, – seminars when they've told us that generally good topics to stay away from are religion, politics, whatever it might be. You know, there you know, I think most of us, you know, you you don't want to use profanity. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are just common right. sense. Some deal breakers. And out and there. you know, to me, I don't think, you know, people tune in to watch the game and I really just think we should stay with the game. Now, if there's somebody in the game, you know, who just who's, you know, wife just got elected the mayor of some big city or something, and I think it's fine to kind of, you know, that's not really delving into the political world, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate, pertinent topic that pertains to someone in the game, so, 
But uh, I just never go there, and I don't think it's my place to go there. You know, I don't, people don't tune in to watch Monday Football to, you know, want to know what I think about uh, immigration or tax reform or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's out of place. But I do think the whole notion of, you know, somehow ESPN is handing down directives to those of us on the air about what our political thoughts ought to be, that's a bunch of nonsense. You know, no one's ever told me you need to be liberal, you need to be conservative, you need to be a moderate, you need to, you know, what they would, do, would prefer is that for the most part we keep it to ourselves, and I understand that, you know, so, and I'm, and I'm totally comfortable with that. One more kind of similar to this, you have the Bengals in December, and I wonder if you thought at all about Joe Mixon, because, you know, uh, Brett Musburger got in a, a guy criticized a little bit uh, when he called the bowl game for kind of I think just kind of reacting to the, the type of night that Mixon had had and, and almost kind of saying, hey, he's got this second chance. I hope he makes the best of it. That was my interpretation anyway. Other people right. interpreted it as, you know, him, I don't know if enabling is the right word, but they they found a negative in it somehow. And, right. Uh, and Well, I think, you know, again, any topic like that is dangerous. I mean, you're talking about somebody who, you know, not, not only was accused of doing something heinous, but, you know, obviously he did it. We all saw the yeah, video. It's an and ugly it was video. It's an ugly awful. Yeah, yeah, it is ugly. So, yeah. you know, I, I think when you go there, you know, if you're not very careful with what you say, you know, you can, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody in their right mind would think Brent would, was ever condoning uh, what the young man did. I mean, clearly he wasn't, but no. even in, wishing him well in his future what i don't remember the exact language you know you you run the risk that people are going to think you you are sympathetic to this guy and you have you know lost whatever your compassion or your focus on the victim and you know again i think that's why in our case you got to be very careful when you're on the air you know what what you talk about and then if you're going to talk about something as sensitive as that, you really better make sure you phrase it exactly the way you want to. Because if you don't, then you know what happened with Brent is the, the kind of things that happen. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer in second chances. You know, but you know, I think every team had to judge for themselves: is that you know the act so heinous that you know we just don't believe in giving somebody like that a second chance? And I think that's why I saw some teams pass on them, and obviously the Bengals thought. He was worthy of a second chance. You know, in terms of will we talk about it when we get there in December, um, you know, that's one of those things, um, and I've had this conversation over the years with producers and other people that I've worked with. You know, how deep into, is this going to be a story every game he plays in for the rest of his life? You know what I mean? Um, you know, there'll be a number of, you know, Fox and CBS games, I would assume, maybe even NBC game that he plays before we get there. Does every broadcast crew have to rehash the entire history of it? You know, and, and if so, for how long? And I'm not, I'm not saying we should or we shouldn't. I, I don't know the answer to my own question with that. But you know, I do think there comes a time when you know there's a lot of people who have stuff in their past. You know, I just, it's to me, it's always the age-old question of, okay, how long? is this something that we really have to talk about if we're doing this person's game or are we now just past the point where this person can just go back to being a participant in the game, whether it's a player, coach, official, whatever the case may be. So um, I don't know if we'll get into it or how much we'll get into it, but that's one of those conversations that we'll have to have at the time.
Uh, another really interesting thing I thought is uh, you got you got a, a lot of people who are really really excited about the fact that you were openly somewhat critical about the officiating last year when discussing the uh, the decline in the ratings, and you mentioned that you thought. I think everyone thinks now that it was a combination of a lot of factors, uh, and and you threw out the hypothesis that maybe the intrusive nature of the officiating was maybe one of those reasons. Uh, right. And, and I think a lot of people at times can criticize ESPN, uh, or they do, well, rightly or wrongly, occasionally for you know sometimes taking the league side a little bit too much. Again, if I'm phrasing that correctly. It feels awkward to say because I don't really necessarily believe it, but I know some people often throw that criticism out, and I think for, right. for that, well, it I was think refreshing. those two who throw it out, you know, aren't looking at the facts. I can guarantee you that the league probably doesn't appreciate when there's a story about concussions on outside the lines, or right. the NFL Live is covering Deflate Gate for two years, or you know what I mean. So there's, yeah, you know, I think. There's certainly times, I know there have been times when the league probably hasn't been happy with some of the, you know, content, opinion, whatever, of uh, what's been presented on some of our shows. So, uh, you know, my feeling on that, Steve, is we're there to serve the fan. I understand that there are business relationships, and if the NFL decides they don't want ESPN to have Monday Night Football, then I'd be out of a job. So I think, you know, I think any of us would have to be sensitive to that. It's not just me. You know, it's it's really the highest rated, most important thing on ESPN. So, you know, I'm not trying to damage our relationship with the league, but, you know, I do think our number one philosophy, and I've heard this expressed corporately at ESPN too, you know, first and foremost, we're there to serve the viewer. And I always feel like we should be talking about what we think the viewer is talking about or thinking about as he or she is sitting there watching the game and if i was watching that game that night between arizona and the jets i would have been annoyed i was annoyed being in the booth you know there were i think 23 penalties or 19 i don't remember the exact number but there were a lot of them and they were, there's some nights you do a game there should be a lot of them. there's a lot of late hits or a lot of blatant holding or pass interference you know, and they have to throw the flag but this was a night when it seemed like it was a lot of ticky tack things that didn't need to be called, and these guys were just a little flag happy, and it really slowed down the game. So, you know, I don't think it's even close to the number one reason. I don't think every game is officiated that way. But, you know, when the league is talking about keeping the game moving and the pace of play and, the you know, these games coming to a screeching halt because of flags that don't appear to need to be thrown, to me that is an issue. But it was one of many. I mean, you, you said that. That's right. I mean, the whole Trump-Clinton election was – historic on a variety of levels that got so much attention last fall i think that you know the cable news network ratings were up um yeah i think there are a lot of reasons for uh, why the ratings were down but uh and i think you know the officiating thing is it was a very 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 small part of it but um i'm not going to be afraid to talk about things like that as long as it's fair and accurate and it's supported in fact you know if you i'm never going to be a bomb tosser that's one thing i learned from my dad if you're going to be critical you know, make sure you know what you're talking about and make sure you explain why you are being critical rather than just sit there and rip somebody for the sport of it. You know, I think there's way too much of that in our business now, and I uh, I don't want to be that kind of guy. We talked a little bit at, when we picked up. We were mid-season last year, so we didn't really get a chance to focus on this. But looking at the schedule, no trips to Boston this year, uh, but some really cool ones. I mean, Adrian Peterson's return to Minnesota gets you started on opening day. Uh, the Giants and the Lions uh, has some really cool potential. Uh, Chiefs and Redskins in October. 
Uh, you'll see a lot of really interesting quarterbacks, interesting players. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford face off in November. You know, I'm just kind of scamming it. We, we talked a little bit about the Steelers and Bengals in December. Uh, Raiders and Eagles on Christmas uh, could be really good. When you look at the schedule, yeah, I think what, Atlanta and Seattle is going to be a really good game. Our third game is uh, Dallas at Arizona. You know, I think Arizona is going to be better this year. You know, they were in the top ten in the league in offense and defense last year. Didn't make the playoffs, so if they can get their special teams issues straightened out, I think that they could be easily back in the playoffs. So, you know, I, I think we have a stronger schedule. For me, you know, the fun part of it you kind of touched on it, is the venues. And you know, I've been to Lambeau Field. That was when I was in high school uh, as a fan. But to have a chance to do a game from there is going to be awesome. We have two games in Kansas City, which everybody says is one of the great venues in the league in terms of the crowd and the noise and excitement level. So I'm really looking forward to going there. And you know, as you said, there's a lot of compelling storylines. We'll have the Patriots on in December uh, down in Miami. They have struggled there from time to time over the years. So that'll be interesting to see. And, of course, you know, by then, who knows what their record will be. You know, there's so much talk about could they have an undefeated season. They get annoyed around here in Boston when people bring that up. But who knows? Maybe they'll be working on that in December when we get there. You get to spend two weeks of December in Florida. That's not bad. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, that might be – those the Florida games in December, you know, we might have to go down a little extra early for preparation purposes only, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Maybe just stay the whole two weeks, you know, so get, get a real Yeah, that's an also a very good idea. Yeah, I think I might. You know, Gruden has plenty of room uh, right. at his home there in Tampa, so maybe we'll just go crash with he and Cindy for a few extra days. Yeah, Gruden is all over Hard Knocks. Huh? He's like one of the one of the, one of the – one of the stars of the show so far. He's showing up in meetings. You know, I haven't seen it. I, I've had a, a lot of people text me yeah, I saw about it. And, yep. um, you know, obviously we, we were there. Uh, they were in our meeting room when we met with the Tampa Bay people before our game in Jacksonville in the preseason. And I think they do a great job. It's an excellent show. Um, you know, I watched the one leading into their game just to kind of get a sense, but I haven't seen the one that, that we're on. But, uh, John's a rock star. I mean, he's, he, he kind of takes over wherever he goes, and uh, deservedly so. I mean, he's got a compelling personality, and, uh, and people like being around him. And, you know, it's fun in those meetings when the players walk in, the coaches walk in. You know, you can tell they're excited to sit there and talk to him. How do you think Rex Ryan uh, – one thing that is interesting to me, because they did show a lot in hard, at Hard Knocks, they did show a lot of that meeting. You know, and they did mm -hmm. show uh, Rex Ryan. I thought it was pretty interesting too because he was talking to Jameis, I think, and he was talking about how if he would have had a quarterback like Jameis, you know, he wouldn't be there. And then him and and Gruden were kind of joking. And uh, how do you think Rex is adjusting to um, to to the to the booth to that world? Well, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, we in our game the other night in Cleveland, our preseason game. You know, Beth Mullins and Rex were there doing a practice game to get ready for the real Monday Night Football game the first week of the season when they're going to do the Chargers-Denver game after we do New Orleans-Minnesota. And you know, I don't know if you had a chance to watch that, there, yeah. but we did actually throw it to them, yeah. and they called the series. And I thought he sounded really comfortable. You know, he had already done the practice game in Jacksonville a couple nights before, and I think they did the Florida State spring game or something like that together. So... You know, they've had a few reps. You know, I've, Rex is a naturally glib guy. Obviously, he's a very knowledgeable guy. You know, I think the thing you need to learn during the games is to 
throw sound bites. You know, you don't have as much time as you might sitting in a meeting like that talking about football. You know, you just have the limited window between the plays. So, you know, if and it sounded to me like he's kind of got that timing down too. So, I think with his personality and knowledge, and now that he's getting comfortable with the TV side, I would guess that he would do an excellent job. Well, Sean McDonough obviously calls Monday Night Football on ESPN with John Gruden. Doesn't really need a plug for that, I don't think. Still not on Twitter. He made it pretty clear last year. Don't hold your breath waiting for him there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was what, last fall, and yeah, we're still a Twitter holdout. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and actually, the longer I live and watch the impact that Twitter's had on a number of situations and lives of other people, I, I think that my decision to stay off Twitter is probably a pretty solid one that is oh, yeah. not going to change. Yes, yeah, so you are missing less and less by the day there. Yeah, I yeah. just I just find, you know, to me it's a disappointment because I think there are so many great uses of it, and I know a lot of people in our business just kind of use it as information gathering and that sort of thing, and it can be useful in that way. But there just seems to be so much negativity, and it's really just a place where, in many cases, anonymous people can go, you know, say some pretty horrific things about people with no you know, with no backlash, you know, it's just, uh, you know, to me, it, it tends to reflect a lot of the things about our culture and society that aren't great rather than the good things. So I'd rather spend my time focusing on the good things. Yeah. The number one thing about it will always be being able to watch the game with everybody. Um, you know, when those moments arise, like, I don't know, the world series game seven last year, you know, everyone's watching that and talking about, Right and on Twitter, and even though your house is quiet, it's like you got all these friends over watching. Uh, but there's just not enough games, it seems like, to get to get through all the other noise sometimes. But I really appreciate. Yeah, this. I just don't have enough interest. I don't have time really to sit there and you know. I know a lot of these people follow all kinds of people, and they sit there. You know, I have friends of mine say, "Well, I like so and so, but he tweets too much or she tweets too much." I'm like, "Well, you know." <laughs> Uh, do you have to read everything they tweet? Do you have to follow that many people? Do you have to spend your time reading these things in the first place? I mean, you know what I mean, it's just, I, I think it's really kind of silly on a lot of levels. I understand the, the, the good parts of it and the productive uses of it, but it's, for me, it's just not worth it. And I see, I've worked with too many people who, you know, read it during the game and then they get upset because, you know, somebody said something really vicious about them and, you know, I just don't want that kind of distraction while I'm on the air, especially. I don't want to even have the temptation to go on and read stuff, whether it's positive or negative, because I honestly don't care. I mean, I I did a lot of games way before Twitter existed, and I certainly am aware that people sit there at home and think, this guy's awful or this guy's great, and, you know, people are entitled to have their opinion, and they've always felt that way. I just didn't know how they felt because they couldn't express it on Twitter or some other social media. Now I guess I could know how a lot of these people feel, but I just don't care, you know, because I think the worst thing you can do is react to it or respond to it or let it affect you, and I've seen it happen to too many other people, and I just don't need that to happen to me. Well, I'm going to add to my list of reasons why I hope ESPN gets back into hockey. I'm going to add to my list. I'll put it at number four. The chance Sean McDonough is calling hockey games again. Well, I would love it. I don't mind that one. It's so fun. It's, you know, it's I've enjoyed hockey as much as anything I've ever done, and it was really my first 
great opportunity in Boston when I got to Nesson. I started out doing college hockey back in the mid '80s, so um, and did it for quite a while, and really, really enjoyed it. So, and uh, it would be great, you know. I think uh, you know, it would be. I think it would be great for the league too. NBC and NBC Sports Network. You know, I think they've done a great job for the NFL, uh, the NHL, and they've been great partners. And uh, but you know, I think the league would benefit from having their games on ESPN too. Maybe there's a way to spread it around to more than one place. Yeah. But I have no idea because I'm not involved in any of those conversations, obviously. Hey, thank you so much for this. We always appreciate the first time, but we kind of appreciate the second time better because it means we probably didn't screw up the first time that much. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so well, much for doing this. Well, it's uh, my pleasure and uh, happy to do it. And, you know, it's what we are just talking about. You know, and it's, it's nice when you're talking to somebody who seems to be a nice person as you are. So appreciate it a lot and wish you continued success. Have a great season. Thank you, Steve. Take care. All right. Thanks again to Mr. McDonough and Mr. Leach. Don't forget you can find this episode and all of the episodes of the podcast, for now anyway, on our SoundCloud page. Hopefully they don't go out of business. I have to do all that all over again. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, there's some rumors they're about to go under. Oh, no. And then they got a bailout or something. Okay. So right now they're not. But SoundCloud.com slash sports underscore casters. There's got to be a market for it. Every time you listen to like Adam Carolla's podcast, or I was listening to the Fantasy Football Podcast today on ESPN and... uh. Someone in the crowd is always saying, oh, I'm starting a new podcast. Yeah. There's got to be a place for that. SoundCloud.com slash sports underscore caster or sports dash casters. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters or at Donald Sports. Email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. If you want a copy of Playing Through the Whistle by SL Price, send me an email. Hopefully I get it out to you. Uh, with that said, instead of one last thing today. Uh, Don and I are going to do our over-unders. You have some 2016 results. Yeah. Not our best year. No, no. We've uh, usually been pretty good historically. But this yeah, I think overall we'd probably be not a little, little better than average. Year. But, yeah, yeah uh, you had the Saints over 7, Seahawks under or over 10.5, and the Browns over 5. A little optimistic about all of them. Those were all wrong. Uh, Saints well, pushed. Saints, a push. Saints pushed. Yeah. Uh, Chargers under 7. That one was right. I So I was 1, 2, and 1. For sure, yeah. I was... Uh, I had the Bills over eight. That was wrong. Uh, Seahawks also had over ten. And I had the Rams and Bears under seven and a half. So those were right. I did good on the unders. Maybe so, I'm better at being pessimistic about teams. So you were two and two. Yep. Our playoffs weren't much better. We'll get to that. We'll next get to that week, next week because we're gonna do all that next week. Okay. All right. With that said, why don't you start us off? We're gonna do our teams first. Okay. Yeah. We always pick our own teams. Which I wonder if we're good at that or bad at that. We'd have to go back and listen to all those tapes. But. Uh, <laughs> I'm my being team optimistic was again. Impossible to win last year. I don't think my team's going to be good. And some people, as soon as they traded away Watkins, people thought they were tanking. And then they traded away Darby, and people thought they were tanking. But they got back players in those deals, and they still have one of the better running backs in the league and a serviceable, if you want to argue, for above average quarterback. Like that's not teams that just that's not teams that end up with the first pick or anything like that. So if you wanted a quarterback, you got uh, if you want to tank, you got to do a lot more. Their number is only six. It was actually the number was actually off. So I'm going from a pass number when Tyrod was healthy 
We're just going to assume he leaves concussion protocol and it goes back to Right, six. and if anything, if he doesn't leave, I imagine this number would go down, so I would only get punished for it. It's not like I'd have an advantage. I'm going to take them over six. I, I think they're, again, going to be a seven and nine, eight and eight, if they're lucky, nine and seven team. It's just their division's really bad uh, other than the Patriots, so you can easily end up three and one against the other teams in there, and they only need to find three wins the rest of the year. I, I just I think they're too good to be as bad as people want them to be if they're going to tank. For the Saints, the number is just, it's going to be a hard one to cash. Kind of like last year, I mean, there was literally no way to cash on them. I mean, they were they hit the number. Right. And I think, I think anything between seven and nine, I was going to pick the over, and it's eight, and I get it even money. So I'll take over eight. Yeah, I mean that makes sense from Vegas's point of view. That division's just so tough. Like, yeah, no, it's they're right gonna, where they're going to beat it's up right on where it other. should be. I think the best team in there is they consider Atlanta, and theirs is like nine, nine and a half, nine yeah. and a half. So yeah, it's tight. Um, my next one is the Patriots. Same thing I said before. Uh, the pa- the Bills might see four wins on their schedule against division opponents. The Patriots should see six. So you're starting off. Their number is twelve and a half, which is monstrous. But there's no reason they can't be even better than last year. Uh, losing Edelman hurts, but they got Cooks, and people think they have something in Hogan, and they've got a 1,000 running backs there, and the defense is always good under Belichick. So give me over 12 and a half. Yeah, and sometimes it seems like everyone who's there is just a guy anyway. So On defense? No, in general. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're not Brady, you're just a guy. Right. Or Gronk. Gronk, you know, sure. So. All right, uh, for the Rams, I'll take over five and a half. That's minus 115. I like the Rams to be better this year. I don't think Goff is the mega bust everyone wanted him to be because they didn't start him right away. Yeah, He was very average, of course, last year, but he was also in a bad spot. Um, Gurley, I think, has to be better. Mm-hmm. They totally improved all around those two guys. Coaching seems better. Coaching seems better. Offensive line seems better. Wide receiver is definitely better. Yep. And they have three wide receivers on the team this year that are better than anyone on the team last year. And now Austin gets to go back to being Austin. Right. You get to do gimmick plays with them and have them run all around and stuff. So five and a half is a low threshold. I think they can get to six for sure. So yeah, I didn't pick any teams from that division, but I also kind of like the over for San Francisco. I just think those teams. I liked it for San Fran as well. Yeah. I just didn't want to do both. No. So I picked the Rams. All right. My next Oakland. Um, I looked at that. Their number is 10. That seems a little high to me. Um, Again, maybe I base too much on who their division opponents are because they do get to play a schedule outside their division. But they've got to play Denver twice. They've got to play Chiefs. the Chiefs twice. And Houston. they've got to play uh, – well, not Houston. San Diego. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah or Houston's, L.A. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that all year long. they got to play the Chargers. Right. Every one of those teams I feel like could win that division. I mean, maybe – Maybe Denver would need their defense to play out of their minds to win the division, but I think any of those teams can win the division. And to think that Oakland is just automatically going to be the best team again, I, I don't know. Ten wins is a lot, so I'll take the under there. I'm going to take under on the previously mentioned Houston. It's at eight and a half. Ooh, really? That's yep. really high. Minus 125. Let's make sure I got it right just because it seems so high to you. It just yep, feels I high. got it right. Yeah, it feels it's high with their quarterback situation. And... It felt high to me too, and I remember what a mess having to deal with these Hurricanes can be. Mm. You know, I yeah. don't know what they. St- I know they've said they want to play that first game at home. Still, I don't know if that'll happen. Either way, this next it's always going to be a scramble for them. Yeah, you know. So just because of all that, hopefully the NFL does the right thing. If they can't play that game at home, 
Yeah, don't play, play it, it as one of their away the games. other team stadium. Right. Play it as an away game. Or, or yeah, play a neutral stadium if that's what you have to do. But, I mean, can't you reschedule two games? I don't know. There's, I know scheduling is tough, but calling a New York City game <laughs> put, a home but game. But they put the Saints logo in the end zone. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, my last one is Minnesota. Uh, their number is eight and a half, and, again, it feels really high to me. I, I know they kind of got beat up with injuries last year, but that feels high, and it's another team in a, a – Decent division, so I'm going to take the under eight and a half. I'm going to pick the Chiefs over nine. I hope that's wrong. Minus one twenty-five. <laughs> I just felt like it felt high, or it felt low. Like the, I thought that the Raiders felt a little high and theirs felt a little low. They're eight and a half. You said they're nine actually. Okay, so over nine. Okay. Yeah, so I'll put them at over nine. Yeah, Bills fans definitely want to be well under. You got to feel like that team's window is closing. Yeah, I do. So I, I think there's a lot of pressure to win this year. Yep. And they're a nice. There's a little bit of security there. It's like if something happens to Alex Smith, I'm confident in the guy behind him. Sure. Uh, you know, I think Cream Hunt's going to be an upgrade over Ware. I think proved to be a pretty average guy. I think that injury clearing the path for Hunt is great for them. You know, you don't have to pussyfoot around with the Jeremy Hill Mixon type situation where you're giving the guy carries. Even though he's inferior, just because he's a veteran. Sure. Um, so, to review, I have the Saints over eight. That's even money. I have the Rams over five and a half, minus one fifteen. I have the Chiefs over nine, minus one twenty-five, and then I have one under Houston at eight and a half, one twenty-five. Yeah, I've got the Bills over six, the Patriots over twelve and a half, Oakland under ten, and Minnesota under eight and a half. 